Welcome to Connex, a global leadership platform for construction executives. Today, I have Dominic on the phone. Dominic, how are you doing today? Fantastic, actually. It's been a great day. And now I've got a midday meeting with you. It's good. It's good. It's cold, as you'd expect. So is it true that every Canadian person is nice? Yes. We just talk behind your back <laughs> and call you buddy. I hear you. Yeah. Hey buddy. How's it going? So, <laughs> yeah. Hey. Well, Dominic, uh, so first of all, talk, let's talk about um, you, you yourself. Where did you grow up? Kind of what led you to where you're at today? And that's a long time because yeah, you're an old thank man. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Usually I wear a hat so you can't see the gray. But uh, yeah, and you know what? You've been on my show as well, so we're kind of warmed up to each other. So I, if I if I go past something too quick, just tell me to slow down and go back. But gotcha. uh, you know, let me start from here and maybe work backwards a little bit. I I work with people in the construction industry who want to get their business to the next level, but I didn't just mm -hmm. magically appear here. I've had to. You know, I got my nose broken a few times, as any good Italian should, and uh, and that all came through growing some businesses of my own selling a few businesses of my own, mm -hmm. failing a bunch of times. You know, you you and I have been at this game a long time. It all looks easy when you write it in a sentence. Yes. You know, it's easy to say the 80s were hard. It's hard to live from 1979 to 1989 and go, what just happened? Right? Yeah. So I've been, I've been around for a while, but, you know, I grew up in a trades family. I was a framer. From there, I started doing painting, believe mm -hmm. it or not. And then small home renos. And then I just kept going from there. Went to corporate for a while. and uh, But I've always been a student of learning. And I guess that's how what got me on the path to meet you. Well, it's no it's no surprise to me that you're a painter after knowing you for a little bit, you know. Yeah, because of the fumes. fumes is, smelling uh, the paint fumes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. falling off a few so. ladders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so did you always live in Canada? Always lived in Canada, although, you know, what's funny is I live here, but most of my business is in, is in the States and has been since 2000, 2001. I've mostly operated in the United States mm -hmm. be, just because of the nature of what I do and how specific it is um, working with contractors. You know, and a lot of it is by phone, but it's in boardrooms, it's at muster stations, it's out in the field. Uh, you know, the oil patch exists mm -hmm. in northern Canada, but it also exists in Texas. And, you know, yeah. so you, you get to see construction in a bunch of different places and then construction services. And um, and so all sorts of trades, small, large, just you, you think I it, I live in Canada, but most of the people I work with are actually American. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's interesting. They just think well, I'm honestly, a super if you polite guy from Canada. I, I know. Yes, I, I said besides you being polite, I would have never guessed you lived in Canada. So, right. Yeah, I've got a so, Seattle accent, but. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and you have, and you always have coffee every time I talk to you, you know, that's so, right. Uh, so, um, well, so let's you talk think a it's little... coffee. <laughs> well, you think hey, it's coffee. that, you know, as long as it's a cup, I don't care, you know? So, uh, but, uh, so let's talk a little bit about like your company a little bit. Um, you know, kind of talk about what do you, what do you do when you talk with, you know, going to a company, whether they're, giving you, asking you for help or asking you for efficiencies or, or what? So explain that to me. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting question because it's different for every company, but let me, you know, and I've done this for my own businesses as well. 
one of the things I have to do is I have to be really honest with myself. And I have to be honest with business owners that I that I work with as well. I mean, the only people I talk to are guys like you, contracting business owners. And what I like about construction is we're also straightforward. If I if I say something or I put an idea or a strategy on the table and you think it's not going to work, you'll just say, Dominic, I think that's a dumb idea. We're not doing it. And it, mm-hmm. it's just very straightforward. Like there's no, because we're contractors. We're like that pipe doesn't go there. You can't kind of negotiate it. You can't, it's just that pipe doesn't go there. That's how we talk, right? Yes. Um, and that doesn't exist in other places. So when I start talking to a business owner about what they need, it becomes, you just, it, we're able to just dil- drill down really quick. You have a people issue. Maybe you've got a marketing issue. Maybe you've got a culture issue, which sounds very lucky charms. But a lot of times you don't have the right culture in your business. People don't know what to do. You can never leave the the shop, the office, or the job site, so you're working twenty four seven. You see what I mean? It it, mm-hmm. it it always leads back to something else. Well, that's interesting. You know that that it looks a little different uh, for different people. Hey, how do you get most of your business? Is it just a lot of referrals, a lot of people you work with? How you know what kind of are they? Subcontractors, general contractors? Yeah. Well, so I've got two podcasts. That's, that's where I get clients. But you know, what's funny is I actually keep clients for a very long time. I don't have a lot of mm-hmm. open spots. Uh, I've brought on another coach now because we're, you know, we keep people like I keep clients for nine years, five years, lots, lots of people mm-hmm. for two years. So getting clients is never really a problem. We got lots of referrals. But of course, I've got the podcasts, which is I, I found you to be a guest on my show. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've actually got two podcasts. One of them is called Profit Tool Belt. And so and really think anything under the GC. Although there's GCs that we work with, but you know, any sub trade underneath the GC would listen to the profit tool belt podcast, Mm -hmm. but I've got this other podcast. Don't, don't drink when I tell you this name because it's going to shoot out your nose. It's not that the topic is funny, but it's very specific. (laughs) So the second show is called cabinet maker profit system. Like how that's pretty specific, right? Yes, very, very specific. It's yeah. a whole bunch of Amish guys. Actually, there I do work with a lot of Amish people. Okay. I'm not even kidding. I've got a ton of guys named Amos that I work with. <laughs> They're all fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. <laughs> I'm not the hottest thing in this podcast, by the way. No. Well, some do. Some do. I'm the hottest thing in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> That's not saying much, Dominic. No. No, it's there not. you go. There you go. I, but hey, listen, I will tell you something that I have learned and respect a lot about the Amish. If uh, let's let's compare a, a family business with another family business. So a non-Amish mm-hmm. family business, if the if one of the brothers leaves to start their own business, everybody's mad at him. Like, what happened to Dave? Why is he leaving us? He had it so good here. But with the Amish, if yeah. Dave decides to leave, they're so happy for Dave, and they try to help Dave. It's a, it is beautiful in its honesty. I really enjoy working with that that group. Well, I tell you what, I uh, I've I've been around the Amish in Michigan and a few other places. They're in Kentucky too, and uh, um, I've yeah. had a great experience with them. In fact, uh, I had some Amish guys build my cabinets in my closet. So it's kind of funny. They they uh, the Amish slash Mennonite. The Mennonites drive the truck. The Amish ride and do all the work. You know so. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Uh, but, they, they quite often have to have drivers. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, but so let's, let's turn it a little bit. Let's turn the conversation a little bit to um, 
you know, what you, recommendations you have to people. If you if you were a you know executive with a construction company, what what would you say are some of the biggest things you should be concerned with? What do you see the most common being, you know, strengths and weaknesses, that kind of thing? Um, if I was an executive in a construction company, would that be with regards to people or would that be regards to profits or systems? Um, just in general, I mean, you know, the, 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 like, you know, some of the construction executives you, you work with, what are some of the struggles that people that you see out there in the industry and things you read and, you know, it, I, I like to always get the different perspective from different places. Cause sometimes we always believe that, you know, Hey, I live in Kentucky. So the world is Kentucky. Well, it's not. Yeah. You know, yeah. And no, it's things not. That, that that are that are different. So, what do you find to be some of the common problems you see in the industry in general, um, and uh, some of the strengths you see in the future? Yeah, it's so interesting. As you're forming the question, I'm forming the answer, and I I think my answer will be consistency and communication. And it's not supposed to rhyme or both start with C, but one of the problems mm -hmm. a lot of businesses have is there's no consistency. And then that that comes around because there might be a lack of communication or let's say one one piece of communication is trying to communicate and the other, it's not, other people aren't picking it up the right way. You know, for instance, if you've got a list of expectations, but you've never told your crew what the expectations are, how would they know that? It, maybe you're a company mm -hmm. based out of Utah and you've got a crew in Kentucky, but they don't know what the job site rules are because they just work, show up to work and they think, oh, I'm here to do this, install that, manufacture that, demolish that, whatever they, you know, they don't know what your company stands for. And that works whether you're a small company or big company. Communication, I know this sounds so basic, but that's why I'm going to be employed forever. <laughs> because it, it, it really comes down to that. Like, am I clear with my communication? Am I clear with my expectations? Clear. And then am I consistent with those? And as long as I am, then I've got that, consistency that I mentioned before. You know, I, my company does what we say we're going to do. We do it on time. We do it on budget. If there are problems, we deal with them, but we have a consistent way to do that because we communicate well. It, and you know, what you said is hits the nail right on the head for me is like, it seems like the basics sometimes get lost, you know? And, uh, I, I tell everybody, cause yeah. I got out of the military and I tell all the people that are getting out of the military, you have some basics that, don't exist within a civilian world. Here's one of them. Show up to work on time every day. <laughs> you know, and that sounds crazy, but I know. It, it's, it's true. You know, <clears throat> it's true. And here, here's another yeah. one they teach in the military is do what you say you're going to do. Simple, but, you know, and uh, uh, I, I just think about that all the time. And I think the basics and, you know, you mentioned communication. I think based on my experience, that is by and large the largest issue across general subcontractors, yeah. whatever, is just be able to talk. <clears throat> and it's only gotten worse with the evolution of technology because people quit talking. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. As far as using technology. Yeah, to they do. I mean, we, we rely on technology. Yeah. It's funny because relying on technology to communicate is either the greatest thing in the world or it's the worst. You mm -hmm. know, can you remember the days of somebody sending you an instant message, but they were sitting next to you at the desk? You're like, just lean over and talk to me, man. <laughs> I know, I know. This didn't have to be an email, right? 
Yeah. And then, you it's know, a, I've worked a, with um with contract. Go, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead, Dom. Um I, I was saying I've worked with contractors who've been, you know, managing their PMs. And I'm of course I'm in the office where we're speaking privately, doors are closed, and they'll see an email come through and they said, You see this email that my PM just sent? That should have been a phone call, followed up with an email. Email's very mm -hmm. convenient, it's very fast. Um, so is texting. The challenge with texting or with email is that it doesn't convey emotion very well, and nor does it read the temperature between us very well. It's a, you know, it's a one-way tool. It's like just throwing a dart or shooting an arrow. It doesn't take into account the target. And you could put emojis and happy faces, but still things get lost. It's far better. I know it takes longer, but it's far better to call Scott and say, hey, Scott, look, we got to talk about where the, the cores have to be cut because of the rebar, the da, 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 all, whatever it is, right? And then follow that up with an email as, as opposed to just sending an email and saying, well, that's taken care of. That's management by abdication. That's just saying, well, I told the guy, but he never did it. That's not really managing it. Well, and you know, the other thing I, you tech, text messages have seemed to be like, you know, I've seen a statistic like 99% of all text messages or 97% or something like that. Our text messages are read, right? And then you look at the small <laughs> percentage of emails that are read. And it was a marketing, you know, ploy basically. But I just thought about that and I thought, how many times do I get a text message from somebody? And it's, there's no follow-up. There's no, I'm just thinking, well, it is so easy to get text messages, so easy to send them. Um, it almost is like people are afraid to communicate anymore, you know? And uh, uh, I don't know if that's across all industries, but when I talk to executives, it seems like what you, what you're kind of driving towards is like pick up the phone is a very common ask. Yeah. So yeah. Imagine if you had a magical tool, Scott magic, it just was invented. As a matter of fact, it's coming out this Christmas. Mm -hmm. It allows you to get inside the brain of other people and to be the only thing they hear and drown out everything else going on around them. To have that one-way communication that's so intimate that nothing else can interrupt them. When that comes out this year, would you be interested in finding out about it? Because it's called a telephone. I don't know. Not in your head, Dom. <laughs> okay. But you know, but you know what I mean? Like you're fed right into somebody's yes. ear. And so I, I guess I guess my point is I, I love texting. Texting is great. I can I can text while I'm driving because I use speech to text, honest, if any cops yes. are listening. Um, but it's only one of the tools, right? It's only yes. one of the tools. I like to talk, you know, like to talk it through with people, have a good relationship, which by the way, is the glue that holds together a relationship. Texting does, is not the glue that holds a relationship together. It's a tool like email is a tool, but we have to have that human back and forth. You know, I think almost texting, texting is something you do with somebody you have a relationship with, you know, it's outside of that. I don't really see how it's beneficial. Although a lot of companies are using it now to confirm appointments and do a lot of different things that we see every day that have no relationship attached to it. That's transactional stuff though, right? That's transactional. Mm -hmm. So a big part of winning a contract with you is that you trust that I can do the job. Absolutely. Right. It doesn't matter. I think mm -hmm. it was you that reminded me that the most expensive construction project is one that never gets built. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that words of wisdom from Scott, right? Well, I'll take credit regardless. 
but uh <laughs> okay yeah take the credit yeah take take the win but you know so, uh, so, so i do well let's say that we're building a civil project for you right now whatever it doesn't matter what it is an overpass on a bridge uh, on a highway doesn't matter that is only the project we're working on today i want to continue to work with you for years that relationship gets developed by this kind of thing where we're talking and then, you know, little project stuff, we can text back and forth, right? The rebar showing up today. What about the, the the slag? All that stuff, right? All of that. Those can be transactional, but I still need to keep the relationship there. So if we've got executives listening to this podcast right now, they need to be thinking about investing in their future and building a solid foundation of relationships. Nobody that you just text with is going to be at your funeral. Mm-hmm. they'll just go, oh, that guy never responds to my messages anymore. Somebody you talk to by phone, when they hear about <laughs> you passed away, they'll be like, what the heck, man? That was a good guy. That was like, I talked to that guy all the time. Not, oh, I texted him all the time. Right. And and it's, it's, you're, you're, you're I think you're 100% right on. And I think that the most of the executives listen to this podcast will agree with you that that is so vitally important. I always say relationships are what you need when you or somebody else is in trouble or when there is yeah. trouble, because that yeah. is the yeah. thing that, that that relationship is what you need. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's turn the conversation to another thing that I, I commonly ask. Uh, and uh, I get a lot of good input. Um, and that is if I were to go back or you were to go back and talk to 18 year old, you know, Dom, what a oh, hundred pounds ago. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not be so generous. It's 120. But what would you say to 18-year-old Dom? What advice would you give him on what to do and what not to do? And it doesn't have to be specific. It can just It's just generalities, you know? I mean, and I'll give you a good example for myself. If I were to give 18-year-old Scott any advice, and my, my thing would be is think before you say or act. Oh. And uh, that would have got me in a lot of trouble in my life, you know. So wow. So now I'm throwing it towards you, Dom, and I know that's a big that's a big ask. Yeah, it is a big ask. So you know, I want to come up with and say something wise, but I, I think I, I I would have like honestly read more books. I think I would have done that. I, can I be a little less serious? Yes. I would have talked to more girls more often back when I was 18. I think I was a little too quiet. <laughs> well, I didn't have that problem, but go ahead. Yeah, there you go. So that that I definitely needed a nudge on. Um, actually, one other thing I should have done a better job of, and maybe it was a little more difficult back then, but I obviously didn't look for it. But hang, I needed to find more Scots to hang out with. Like find other people who were moving in the same direction as me. I always found it very difficult to find business owners. But at the time, you know, when I was 18, I was stapling Christmas lights to houses. Like that was my first trade company was a Christmas Mm -hmm. light installation company called the Yo Ho Ho Light Co. (laughs) Really? I was doing that. I was lifeguarding. I was bartending. I was just a kid. Right. But, but I, I, you know, obviously I had all my group of friends, but I didn't have a group of people that were business people to hang out with. And, you know, podcasts didn't exist. If this existed, Mm -hmm. I would have jumped out on podcasts 24 seven. You know, the, the, the one thing I, I think back when I look at, you know, re- reflecting on my life is I, you know, big, you know, is risk of, you know, risk avoidance. I would have been, you know, and I, I'm not a person scared of risk, 
but I would have rolled the dice even more because oh really fear controls people too much you know in mm. this world and i mean how many people do you know have worked jobs for a long long time and a lot of people who listen to this podcast are those people who are risk takers in order to you know be you know whatever that may be in you know we're going to a different uh away away from the home office on a project you know yeah. done this or that took those risks and they paid off um and even the ones that didn't pay off, they were still risks that you needed to put in the inventory of knowledge. And I always say wisdom, the combination of education and experience, you know, yeah. um, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah. It, just going to do things. You know, I, I tell you, one of the risks I didn't take enough of, and I, I really wish I had done, which was buy real estate. Be it, especially where I live. I mean, you mentioned I'm already in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. I remember thinking that house is $300,000. Who's going to buy that? Well, now those houses, some of those houses that were $300,000 are selling in the millions. I don't even have to be smart to make money. <laughs> and I don't, I don't actually care about money for money's sake. What I like is the ability to provide for my family and to be able to say yes to the things that we want. Right. Yes. I want to say yes to a vacation or yes to braces for my daughter. Like, I don't, I don't like, I don't actually like things, Scott. I like doing things. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather have an experience than, than, uh, I, I don't need like the finest brandy in my cup. I don't care about that. I'd rather have a, you know, a cheap beer with a guy I like than a fine glass of brandy with people I don't. And so that's what money affords me, but I could have had more of those opportunities if I'd invested earlier instead of being afraid of it. Afraid of a mortgage? Are you kidding me? A bank's going to lend me money at at the time seventeen percent. They're still giving it away. Mm -hmm. Still, even though interest rates are six percent now, people are freaking out because they're not three like they were three years ago. Well, you know, fear fear controls most people, and uh, you know, conquering that fear. And I, you know, when I taught, that was something I always preached: is don't be afraid. Because fear will either control your life in a positive way or in a negative way, you know. So, um, yeah. So you mentioned something that at, earlier that I want to go ahead. If you have, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say at the same time, don't be foolish. Like you still, I, I still have to take care of my family. I can't, I can't risk it all on something that I have a gut feeling is going to work. No, no, no. Entrepreneurship is not about taking risks. It's about making measured actions and then following up and doing what it takes to make that happen. Sorry, I just wanted to add that. No, and that's the key is one word, educated risk. We need you educate yourself yeah. on that before you take that risk. And then you weigh yeah. the options and then you choose to go. Um, I, I want to turn it a little bit to kind of some of your, your past a little bit and kind of, um, you know, kind of headed that direction. As you mentioned, being in the trades. And that's something near and dear to my heart because I was a carpenter. I was a mason. Something that... Uh, has helped me tremendously in my, in my life is actually yeah. being swinging a hammer, you know, and, uh, I have a passion for it because my wife uh, drives me, drives her crazy. Cause I'm constantly doing projects around the house or constantly helping somebody yeah. with a project or something. Um, but how has your trade background helped? And do you have any strong feelings one way or the other about, you know, about, you know, the trades and maybe somebody going into being more uh, 
you know, the kids I used to teach, I'd be like, you know, get in the field. That's what you need. That's where the value is. Can you talk a little bit about that in general? Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to quote somebody that I don't remember, (laughs) but a long time ago, I learned about, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can choose to work, to earn or work, to learn, but you show up to the same job to do it. So one of my first jobs was on a framing crew with my uncle. And, and one of the first things my uncle said is on this crew, don't tell anybody you're related to me. They'll rip you apart. Most of the guys were uh, of German descent, but they were from, I can't remember if it was Uruguay or Paraguay. They were all immigrants to the country, you know, like everybody you hiring who could be framers for mm-hmm. you. So most of my got my uncle's crew was these guys that spoke mostly old German from Uruguay. And I never told them that that was my uncle, but I worked hard. I worked hard and I know that when I, you know, I left him, but I should have stayed and become an estimator and I should have stayed and become, and if I had stayed and learned my way through the company, I would have been far more valuable. As a matter of fact, one of the mistakes I see is when I have a contracting business and my son, or let's say daughter has won the genetic lottery. They just happen to be born with the same last name as me to my wife, you know? And I'm like, well, this kid's going to be our estimator. He's now our vice president. Never had a job outside of the company. Never had the hardship hardship of understanding how to actually work inside a system that works. And then, but you keep them in your company. You're actually strangling them by not live, giving them the opportunity to learn how to run a business. And they're not actually adding value to your company. They just know how to work inside your company. So that's that's a real caution for me. I'm glad that I moved around between different trades and tried different things. By the way, I love masonry. I would have loved to have learned dry stone masonry. I don't know why. Maybe because I'm Italian, <laughs> but I would have loved that. And I, but I never, I didn't do it. You know, I stuck with framing. Then I thought, you know, I'm going to do painting. And then for painting, I did small home repairs outside. And then I, you know, I ended up uh, going back to school. But um, I still love the trades, man. I just, love it because there's me, no upper level. You can you just keep going. To me, you there's so much uh, value in learning. Just simple simple things like you know I'm I'm one of my you know things I went to school with and some of the things that I do in my company is scheduling. Well, how can you schedule a project if you truly don't understand the traits? And right. that was been my that's been my rub. And you know, being a college professor for a decade and seeing all these kids run through. I just, sometimes I question the people who never, who took the co-ops where they didn't have to go to the field, maybe sat in the office and did not much. And (laughs) I I, I just wonder, is that what I was producing? We actually made a change. I actually put a scholarship together because my father-in-law was a well driller. And I put a scholarship together at the university that I taught um, towards the outstanding co-op. They would receive a you know, a semester's worth of college for free because, you know, co-op is where it's at or internship or whatever you yeah. call it, you know, but it's, it, that's where it's at is where you actually get to go out and do stuff. And, uh, uh, but I, I'm just a real big believer in that. And that's why I wonder sometimes where we went wrong and the whole college education thing. Now college is not oh bad. It's just, no, you know, no, I've got a college degree. I don't use it at all, at all. Uh, but I, I don't not. I, I would not trade having an education because going to school gives you a process for learning how to learn, for really taking a problem apart and putting it back together in a way that suits you. That's what college taught me. 
Um, but at the same time, school's not for everybody. And we have to remember that not every kid needs to grow up to be a pharmacist or a doctor or a lawyer. Although doctors and lawyers get paid pretty well. But it's not for everybody. Not every, <laughs> right? Some people, they want to be a baker. They actually do want to cut hair. Uh, you know, whatever, you know, stylist, barber, like that's what they want to do. So go do that mm -hmm. and be great at it as opposed to getting forced and saying, well, oh no, don't go to construction. That kind of feels like a cop out. No, it's not. You're building things like there's no greater skill than be able to create something out of nothing, whether you're pouring forms, doing framing, roofing, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, installing cabinets, service work for people. It's like you're, you're helping people. There's nothing that's bad in it at all. So we shouldn't knock it and say, well, geez, we should go be a computer programmer. Don't be in construction. People like being outside. See, People like I driving wonder, a truck. I, want, I wonder where we went wrong or where maybe the trades went wrong or maybe university. Maybe they didn't go wrong. Maybe the university just did a better job at it. But when my grandfather, my grandfather was a journeyman carpenter. Mm. And it was highly regarded as, you know, a profession yeah and it was something you started you went through an apprenticeship it was just highly regarded yeah. today it just seems to be not as highly regarded and it's not because of me and you feeling that way it's just or most people it's just either universities did a really good job or maybe the trades didn't promote enough do you have any thoughts there i don't know i mean I agree with you, first of all. Just just saying in, in when I was growing up that somebody was a journeyman, it didn't even matter what came next. Journeyman Mason, journeyman framer, journeyman electrician. It was just the fact you were a journeyman. It meant you stuck through it and you you could do the, the job. I think part of it has to do with the fact that we always want better for our kids. And maybe we were apologetic about the trades and always thought, I don't want my kids to follow me in this. I mean, I did framing. But let me add to that. I did framing in the Pacific Northwest. I can remember holding up walls, my left hand up, and I looked down on my right foot and there's water coming out of my rain suit. It had been going in my left sleeve and out my right foot. And I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm just a gutter. I'm like, the water's flowing right through me. But at the, also at the end of the day, I felt so good. Like you could turn around and look back and go, we'll put the second floor on that bad boy tomorrow. We're doing the roof. That is cool. I don't get that feeling anymore. I sit at my desk and it's either dirty or clean. I've got an inbox or I don't. And I think as I, as we grow up, we always want better for our kids. And maybe we did the, the, the wrong thing by saying, I want better for you. I don't want you to have to work in the rain. Go be a pharmacist. Instead of listening to the kid who says, I like building stuff, dad. Well, and you know, the, the, you bring up a great point there. I mean, I, I think we, it's a protection thing. Maybe as we have as parents, I have four children and I can tell you that I have uh, not wanted them to fail because I know how tough failure can be. But the reason <clears> I <throat> got where I'm at today is because of failure, because you oh, learn God. how it feels to lose, you know? Yeah. You need a little hardship in your life. I say that to my kids and they just look at me with blank stares. But uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, but my answer is maybe it was us. Maybe it was us and we, you know, we need to have more respect for the trades. And, you know, we, we came over in a generation of immigrants where there was a lot of building going on in America and a lot of things needed to get mm -hmm. done. And now things are diluted and there's lots more opportunity from what we've built before. 
at the same time, there's people that are going to be coming into trades and we need to make, there's, there's huge opportunities for them. We have opportunities as leaders to build great cultures and great businesses, safe businesses where people can go on and prosper. If you're a leader in construction, your job is to build a great culture with great people in a safe workplace and make money. Yeah. And the, and, and I love how you say that because the money will come if you do those other things, you know, yeah. uh, if you focus on things like culture. Yeah. Which yeah. sounded a little touchy feely when I, from the generation I'm in, you know, I know, um, I know. you tell somebody worried about the culture. I sometimes think, what am I doing here? <laughs> but, but it is very important, especially with the generation we have today. Yeah. It's the glue. You know, I, 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 I think I made the joke earlier today. I said, it's like the Keebler elves or something. It's like rainbows and mm -hmm. unicorns. Oh, it's culture. It's our values. Except at the same time, if we didn't have culture and we didn't have values, everything would fall apart. You know, think about your favorite sports team, football team, that football team, that winning team. They always say, there's just something about that team, the way they get together in the locker room, the way they've got a culture. They have values. If I go to that team and I'm not with those values, if I'm not in by curfew, if I'm not giving it all in practice, do you think they're going to let me do that or are they going to call me out? The reason that's a winning team is because they gelled. And they gelled because they share values or a vision or a purpose. Call it what you want. Why is it different in sports? And, and I was not in the military. so And I thank you for that. We just had Veterans Day. As many thumbs ups as I, as I can give you. But did you ever work on a with, with a a group that had a great, they just gelled, and other groups that didn't? Absolutely. Who would you put your faith in? The group that gelled or the group that didn't? Well, and and, and no question, the group that gelled is the is where it's at. I always attribute to. I always talk about, you know, for in, in my company, I always say, I want to give you some guidance, so you can go make the right decisions out there. And that's where we don't, we think that having tight controls is what helps us when in reality, giving control away yeah. with some guidance, you know, we call them bumps and guardrails because everybody oh, yeah. knows a road, you sure. have bumps in the road, at least in America we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, I know what you mean. But, it, <clears throat> but if you don't pay attention, you're going to hit the guardrail, you know, yeah. so we, and you, you know, and I, I talk about the bumps as being something you probably need to come to me and maybe get some wise counsel, but I'm not going to make the decision for you. Yeah. Um, but you get to make that choice. But if you're going to hit the guardrail, you need to come talk to me. Otherwise, yeah. it, and I, I don't, I see that being a major issue uh, with some of the clients that we work with is defining that that is. Uh, you know, not so much uh, from the project management to the executive, but from the project manager down, it seems like there's a control. And I had the problem too. Maybe it's an age thing. You know, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I, you know, it's, I, I, I come at it the same way that you do. And the thing that I've come to realize is that, especially for myself, I have to have enough ego to set my ego aside. Like, I, I really like what you said, like, come to me, you know, you're going to hit bumps, you're going to hit guardrails, but when you do come to me, otherwise I trust you to make the right decision. What, what I do, what I tell people is like, look, you can't do it wrong. We're digging a hole. We're putting up a fence, mm -hmm. build a fence. You would be proud of that. Your mom would come home and go, Jeremy, thank, oh my God, you built a great fence. Anything outside of that, come talk to me, but we're building a fence, man. 
or we're digging a hole or we're putting up pillars or we're doing fly forms, whatever it is, right? Do your, do your best. And if you're on the edge of not sure, come talk to me. Now there's a, there's a, there's some simple strategies because this is all very theoretical. Can I give you some real tangible stuff mm -hmm. for the audience? Yes. There, yes. There's something called the one, three, one method of, of leading people. And this is look, it's one bullet in a gun full of chambers, right? But it, it, this will help somebody for sure. So the one, three, one works like this. Scott comes to me with a problem. So the first one is this number one, clearly define the problem that Scott has. Let's in this case, say I've assigned you to work on the West wall and there's wood stacked up against it. So that's the problem. So I say, okay, Scott, if I understand you right, there's wood against the wall on the West side of the building that you've been assigned to work on. Yeah. Okay. Do me a favor. I mean, you just saw it. Give me three options that you think would take care of that for you. And you don't have to come up with it. I'll just keep going with the analogy. I, yeah. This is where I have to be quiet. I got to shut my cake hole. I've got to listen, put my ego aside, let Scott come up with his ideas. So the first thing you're going to say is, uh, I could move the wood. Okay, that's a, that's a good option. Do you have any other options? Uh, I could work over top of the wood. Mm, okay, that's an option. Uh, what other, what other you got? What else you got for me? Uh, I could move the wood against the fence and restack it and then work on the wall. Okay, so there's three good options. Which one? Now here's the last one, right? So we did one, three. Now here's the last one. Scott, of those three, which one do you think is the best and safest option? Uh, move the wood and stack it against the fence. I like where you think it's got, do that one. Now, the first time I do that doesn't change your world. But by the second and third time, Scott starts to figure out. Every time I go to Rubino, he just asks me what the best option is and tells me to do that. Why don't I just do that? That's the one, three, one method of delegating. You know, and, and when you were, when you were talking, like it was, you know, I always try to encourage people when we talk, you know, have conversations, especially on the podcast is give me something to read or give me, you know, give me some advice. And I don't know if you ever read this, Dom, but there's a book called Chop Wood, Carry Water. And no. it's a fantastic book. One of my, one of my students gave me the book after they read it and I yeah. read it and it is when you read it, the entire time you read it, you're thinking, gosh, this is such good stuff. And one of the things is talking about you, you, you mentioned is that they tell they tell a little parable of a of a of a guy building his own his own house, and he doesn't know he's building his own house, and oh. it's the last house he ever builds, and oh. he cuts corners and does all the things, and in the end, it's his house, and they give him the house, and he's thinking, why didn't I build the house like I built every other house? I built yeah. this house because I went through the motions here, but it, it's a it's a really good uh, really good read, and if you guys ever if you know any listeners ever have a chance it's a it's a really good one uh very applicable here because you're from canada chop wood carry water you know? so, <laughs> so uh, i don't know about the carry water stuff but chop well, wood for it, sure it, if you really want to keep the canadian thing it's chop wood carry water drive huskies that's <laughs> there you go we, there you yeah go. we've got to come up with a canadian version of the book absolutely absolutely so uh we're coming to the end of our time here and as I uh, always try to do with my guests, is I always want to give them the last word. I want to thank you, Dom, for being on my podcast today. I want to thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast. Um, you know, if you, I want to give you a chance to plug your podcast a little bit. Really good podcast you have, and and kind of what the 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 core of what those podcasts are. And anything else you want to say uh, uh, to let it, you know, to let this go. 
just want to thank you, Dom, for being with me today. And thank yeah. you for honestly becoming a friend of mine because uh, uh, you're a great guy. To, you know, I don't know too many Canadians, but now I know Dom. He's my link to all the Canadians <laughs> within Canada. So All of us. There's only six of us uh, up here. So the other guys are all named Dave. <laughs> You're right. You're right. So uh, the right? floor is yours. Yeah. <clears throat> well, thank you. So I've got two podcasts and they're really focused on business owners and business owner education. My, my goal is always to help people to learn how to be a, a business person who just happens to be a contractor instead of a contractor who runs a few crews. And, and that comes with a lot of learning and a lot of mindset. So the two shows are called Profit Tool Belt. And the other one is really for people in the cabinetry or millwork trades, cabinet maker, profit system. And, uh, and Scott, you know what's interesting? You mentioned parables. This Christmas season, what I'm doing as a, a gift, if you will, for my audience is I'm actually taking a book that has a really important series of messages on personal success. And I'm reading that aloud on, on the podcast. So if anybody wants those messages of success, it doesn't, it's not trade specific. It's how to be the right kind of person. I'll bet you could play that for your kids and they would get something out of it. But that would be that would be a great way for me to um, say thank you to everybody for listening. Well, uh, I've had a chance to listen to your podcast. I, uh, as enjoyable you're, you're on my podcast, you're even much better on your podcast. I give you that credit. So, <laughs> so. thank you. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, well. Then again, uh, I want to thank my audience for being with us today. Dom, thanks for being with me. And as always, uh, you know, keep Connex in your mind, and see you next week.